0: Uh, I'd like to um, I want to read you a, a verse from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. there's a few verses of this that I'm going to read as I uh, sort of launch into continuing a bit of a series that I've been doing every second week, looking really at the big picture uh, of uh, the, our, our Christian worldview because it's so important the way that the, the way that we understand the world, the framework within which uh, we kind of. Uh, think about our experiences and process our experiences actually makes all the difference to how we work through those experiences and um, and so uh, it's 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 really important to keep coming back to this uh, to this topic and and so I'm going to speak a little bit uh, more to this tonight um, at, at the risk of being a little repetitive. Uh, one Peter chapter one. I want to read from verse thirteen, which says this. It says, therefore. With minds that are alert and fully sober. And this is interesting because there's this sense that we can in some ways lose our awareness of reality as it is. We can, we can go into a kind of spiritual slumber where we lose a sensitivity to the way that things really are. Uh, you know, walk around in a bit of a dream with kind of half conscious almost, right? So, uh, so with minds that are alert and fully sober. So there's an imperative there to be alert and fully sober. Set your hope... And, and hope is what we long for. Uh, hope is, 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 our, is our greatest, what you hope in is the thing that you long for the most. So here, long for this, right? Because so much of our lives is determined by our desires, right? So uh, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Uh, I've spoken the very first... Uh, message that I I brought in this series really shaped, I guess, the meaning of this period because in uh, our culture, everything is about this particular life in which we live. You've got to amass every good experience and everything. You've got to get everything, everything that you want here and now and here and now. And it's like life is this this mad kind of scramble to amass everything that I've ever wanted and do everything that I've ever dreamed. And that's not what life's about. Life is about the mission of God. Life is mission. And, and so Paul is constantly saying, look, ne- oh, no, now isn't about getting everything you want. God, God wants to give you your heart's desire. But this age is like a blip, right? It's like you got, and the way I've illustrated, you got dropped off. It's like you got dropped off in a helicopter. You've got a meeting. I'll pick you up on the other hill in a week's time. Stick to the mission. Make sure you get the pickup. That's like this life. And it goes like that. So set your hope on the pickup, he's saying, on the, on the other end. Set your hope on that. Because grace is coming to you. I love that. We ever think, oh man, Jesus coming back he's gonna bring judgment. And, and Jesus is the judge, but actually for those who trust him, he's coming, he's coming with grace for you. You're gonna realize then, oh, God's way more gracious than I ever thought. And then he says this, and there's something in our cultural context, and I've been noticing this more and more, there's something really grating about this. And when things grate, it's interesting that more and more I'm noticing when things like this grate, we, we, when we read the Bible, we go, oh, that must, there must be something wrong with that. Can I suggest that there may be something wrong with us? I mean, just a suggestion. And that there's a sort of dissonance there. There's something not quite right when we feel that grating sense. He says this in verse fourteen, as obedient children, like in the meantime, while we're, you know, on mission, as well as being alert and fully sober and setting our hope on the grace to come, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Well, the reason that that grates so much, I think, is because we live in a culture where we really feel that it is our sort of human right to get everything that we ever wanted. Don't you dare tell me that I, sh- that I cannot have all the things that I want. Um, as I've said, not only is that not what life is about, but it's actually possible for your desires to even mislead you. Now, it's interesting here, the connection between these kind of disoriented desires, as it were, and this sense of ignorance, which is, again, coming back to this idea of a bit of a lack of awareness of reality. And I've illustrated this, to, again, this is where there's repetition. Uh, I've illustrated this in, in this way. In, in our uh, culture, really in practice, actually, I think, uh, I mean, most people um, in our culture even acknowledge that there is more to reality than just physical reality, um, but in practice actually, our culture, um, we, we really only recognise one dimension of human experience and I've, if we can uh, show the, this graphic, I've, I've illustrated this uh, by um, uh, using a single axis where life, our experiences are sort of mapped on a single axis, somewhere between pain and pleasure, and and we're we're all on this sort of mad dash from the one to the other, right? That's kind of life is, uh, and and all our values are mapped out on this, you know. uh, All our values, you know, how much pain, how much pleasure. Now, the problem with this is that there actually, this isn't, uh, this is a, this is, it's not that that's not important, but actually it's a very inadequate map of reality. We're wired for something more. And that something more could be illustrated by adding a vertical axis. And uh, again, um, this is a repetition. Because there is a longing in the human heart for something more, and our well being even seems to be dependent on a whole other aspect of, of reality, because we're not just biological machines. <laughs> that need to avoid pain and, and, and get pleasure. We're, that's, we're, that's not all we are. We're people created by God to embody the glory of God. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We are absolutely sacred. And all talk of sacredness, as much as that word gets thrown around, all talk of sacredness only makes sense if you acknowledge that there is another dimension to reality. But I tell you what, once we acknowledge this, the implications are huge. And we have a tendency to lose this. Now, the interesting thing is, (laughs) I got this model. This is a simplified version uh, of a model that I got from a very famous social psychologist called Jonathan Haidt. Now, Jonathan Haidt is actually uh, uh, an atheist, somewhat inexplicably, and he doesn't really offer um, sort of any reasons uh, for that but his research uh, has led him to a very interesting discovery and I suspect he's still uh, on this journey and uh, this is from uh, his book The Happiness Hypothesis so he's involved in a field called positive psychology and he says this uh, in his book he says my claim is that the human mind perceives a third dimension he's uh, anyway perceives this other dimension right? a specifically moral dimension that I will call divinity. My research on the moral emotions has led me to conclude that the human mind simply does perceive divinity and sacredness. And then he says whether or not God exists, which is philosophically problematic because there is no sacredness apart from the will of an ultimately holy God. But he goes on to say, in reaching this conclusion, I lost the smug contempt for religion that I felt in my 20s. There's plenty of smug contempt in our culture. Now, there's a simple and very intuitive way of accounting for this, of course, and that is because we were created sacred children of God. This is what it says in Genesis 1 Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's a beautiful uh, description here of unity and multiplicity, that, that both the unity and the multiplicity of human beings in their two complementary halves is a, is a stunning depiction of the unity and multiplicity even in God. And so we don't just individually reflect the glory of God and the image of God, but it's in our togetherness. It's the unity in, and diversity. It says in Psalm 8, yet you made them a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. Now, another way to say this is that we were created to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart for a divine purpose, to be sacred. And this, as I said, this has enormous implications. If something is holy and sacred, and and it's like we love that bit. Oh yes, we're holy and sacred, okay. But if we're holy and sacred, when things are holy and sacred, you can't just do whatever you want with them. That would be a kind of desecration. That would be to treat something sacred as profane is essentially an act of desecration. And, and all of this language, by the way, doesn't even make sense in, in, in the, in the, within the framework that our culture sort of gives us in the popular sense. It only makes sense if you're finally attuned to a whole other dimension. All this talk about sacred and profane and a sense of desecration and, and, and a lot of people just, you know, tap out here. Nah, I don't like that. Don't like it. We'll get rid of the whole thing. And that's basically what has happened in our culture because I should get, you know, anyway, my glasses. They're good to wave around. It's good if I need to point at you. I can point at my glasses. It doesn't seem as intimidating, does it? As I said, what we did, if we can go back to that double uh, axis, what we did is because we did not like the experiences at the bottom of that, a sense of something sacred being violated in some sense, a sense of even an experience of maybe shame, a guilt. And quickly we say, oh, no, 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 this, you've got nothing to be, You it's okay, you're, you're fine. But you know what we do when we do that? And, and I get that what we don't wanna do is that we've, you know, we've seen these categories being abused and people being shamed and ostracized from societies. And so we put that together with our, just our dislike of the experiences on the bottom of that axis. And you know what we do? In our infinite wisdom, in our culture, We get rid of the whole thing. We get rid of the whole vertical axis. And by the way, we're the only culture that's done this. Because every other culture in the world that's ever existed in history has always acknowledged, well, this is obvious. But we, we must be more advanced. They must be all primitive, primitive peoples. Or maybe... Maybe we've shut something out. The problem with getting rid of the whole vertical axis is that we actually rob ourselves, and I want you to get this, we actually rob ourselves of the very thing that is our highest joy. The greatest joy that a human being can experience is not the pleasure of owning, possessing, controlling. We kind of think that that will give us joy and so we pursue that. No, no, the highest joy comes from an encounter with the sacred. An encounter with the sacred. Not only not only and and yes ultimately with the sacredness of God but with this, the, the with the glory of God in each other with the glory of God in the world recognize that this planet was created like as as a as a holy temple for us to live in and enjoy God Bible says that that the that creation declares the praises of God and what I'd like to do in the time remaining is actually speak to four different areas but let me just read uh, four different areas of of human experience that I think are only recognizable if we acknowledge this other dimension I'll get to that in a moment but let me just read a little bit more uh, from Peter but just as he he says in verse 15 who called you is holy so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. To love another person is to recognize the infinite sacred value in them. And the greatest thing that we can do for another person is help them to see that. And if there is shame and guilt, it's not just to deny it, say, no, 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 you're fine. It is actually to tell them the best possible news. (laughs) At the center of the Christian faith is the good news that God is in the business of freeing us from shame. The last thing that God wants you to live with is guilt and shame. In fact, so much does he want to free you that that he came to us in Jesus Christ to suffer and die on a cross, to pay for our guilt so we could be lifted, unlocked from shame and begin an ascent to holiness. And that's what Peter talks about here. You have been unlocked from shame. You've been unlocked from guilt. Now, fly Now fly, be free, rise up and be a habitation of God, a holy temple of God. It's a beautiful vision. And there are forces in our culture that just wanna flatten this out and make us forget the whole thing and just join the rat race that are racing from pleasure to pain. I mean, that makes life kind of simple. But I think it's profoundly dehumanizing. One of the reasons that people you know, avoid this, maybe they feel like you know, if, if we do allow ourselves to feel the things at the bottom of that vertical trajectory, then somehow that devalues us. But I would suggest it's actually the very opposite. The reason we even feel shame when we feel the shame is because we are absolutely sacred. We wouldn't even feel that if there, wasn't a, if there wasn't an innate sense. Actually, I was created for something sacred. I, in fact, I love speaking of uh, red frogs. I love the way, the, I love the ministry of red frogs. One of the reasons I love it is because they go into situations where people are doing the stupidest things. (laughs) And they say, we are gonna love you. We're gonna love you so that we can reflect to you how infinitely valuable and sacred you are. Whatever it is you're doing right now, the first thing you need to see is that you are absolutely sacred. Love is a revelation of the sacredness of a person. That's why we love being loved. Because intuitively, we need to rediscover our sacredness. And if you go and love people, they will drink that in. And so they should. And so we should go out and love people. So make sure you go listen about Ministry of Red Frogs. Anyway, I do digress somewhat let's go back to that uh, the next slide uh, here there are four different uh, elements uh, and we can map human experience uh, on this diagram uh, in this way and I want to speak to these four areas so if we uh, basically this kind of divides human experience into uh, four elements actually as opposed to just being this one dimensional, you know, uh, sort of plotting our experience along this horizontal plane, we actually are able to validate by this model. All models fail in some ways, by the way. I mean, don't, you know, I, I'm sure you can think of lots of ways and what this doesn't quite sum up, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best here. Um, I wanna speak to these three areas because these four areas can't count uh, because there is actually a really profound connection between our highest pleasure and sacredness as I've already suggested to you. There is also an experience of pleasure, actually, that has this, where, where we experience pleasure, but we, this sense, we, we're left with this sense, something is wrong, something sacred has been violated here, and again, and, and our, you know, our culture doesn't give us the framework with, with which to validate even that experience. They just say, oh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. No one gets hurt, uh, then, if, then it's fine. Um, and and I, that's okay, I get that along the horizontal axis, you know, it's like, that kind of makes sense. Um, uh, but on a double axis, no, no, there's way more to human experience than that. And then if we go to the third, uh, there is, and, and uh, just a, with this one here, when I talk, and I'm not going to go deeply into this one, I just want to give a little bit of a trigger warning uh, uh, for this one, because this is where a lot of trauma actually uh, sits uh, in this space uh, here, because there are. Th- painful experiences that we go through uh, the pain of which is actually uh, so much the greater because there's a sense of violation Um, and 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 so uh, I'll just be uh, pointing to just one uh, element uh, of that and then of course there are experiences of pain that can be profoundly sanctifying sometimes God lets us go through painful experiences and and we 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 complain God what are you doing and he said actually I'm trying to save you here so I, I just let me, let me just scoot around this little circle uh, for a moment uh, tonight because, again, we're not taught to recognise these experiences. We're not taught to even recognise them. And yet, they're so much part of our experience. And I guarantee, th- I guarantee that even the most sceptical person in this room, and I hope there are sceptical pers- people in this room, uh, I always say one of the biggest problems with the church is that it's full of Christians. Uh, we want, I want lots, you know, I want, let's, let's get everyone. Let's, everyone needs to be part of the conversation. Uh, and, but I'm also happy to challenge a very flat one-dimensional worldview because I just don't think it serves us as human beings. I don't think it captures the true sacredness of humanity. But as I said, the thing about sacredness is that it comes with responsibilities. Doesn't it? It comes with, you can't just do whatever you want with something sacred. So it's important that we, uh, that we can recognize some of these things. Now, first, let's go to, this, to, uh, to number one. Uh, and that is this space and this connection between what is ultimately pleasurable and what is truly, truly sacred. There is a connection between those two things. Uh, the most enjoyable things in life, the things we actually can't live without. you can live without a lot of the things that you think you want. A lot of of things that you think you want that you probably make a lot of sacrifices for. Probably sacrificing things that you actually really need. Because you're racing along the horizontal axis trying to get things that you kind of want when actually the things that are going to bring you the most pleasure are not the things that protect you from pain and shoot you through to a shallow sense of pleasure but the things that elevate you things that elevate you spiritually. And these are invariably experiences of the sacred, Um, the sacredness of people. And I want to connect this with something that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I talked about the need to recover contemplative spaces. Does anyone remember that? The need to recover contemplative spaces, that spaces to be present, spaces to slow down. See, to connect with sacredness, you have to create spaces within which, it takes space and time to love. Space and time to love. It's the experience that you have when you're, sitting out the back at Bells Beach with the sun coming up, beautiful sunset over the ocean and there's this breathtaking awesomeness to that experience and it's just wow. It's an elevating experience because you're sensing actually this isn't just stuff. There's something sacred going on here and you're right on. There absolutely is. We need to take time, if you're a parent, to sit on the ground with our kids and just look at them and watch them. I used to do this with my daughter. She, served, she used to love to play cafes. You know, and she would serve up endless plates of mud. <laughs> and I would pretend to eat the mud. And I would just love that little girl. It takes time and space for sacredness. But we're all rushing around like crazy, aren't we? (laughs) And we miss so much, we miss, we miss, we miss so much sacredness. But that's what life's all about. That's just the first one. Of course, there's uh, an experience uh, of pleasure, actually, that can go the other way. And, um, and the, the, the example that I'm going to use uh, here is actually the example of sexuality. And the reason I'm going to use this is because there is a very close connection between spirituality and sexuality. Because uh, that's not acknowledged. In our, it's just, it's, it's kind of emotional, physical, yet we like, we get that, and that's and, and that's true. But no, there is this, there is this intensely spiritual aspect to our, our sexuality. Sex is never, ever just physical, it is loaded with more significance than this single axis can account for. Actually, our sexuality, in, in a very real sense, is a kind of shortcut to the inner sanctum of our soul, and it's. And that's like a great thing because it's made for deep spiritual connection. That connection is one of the most sacred things of all. In Genesis 1, 27, as I read it before, we see this, this beautiful picture of human beings reflecting God's image in their togetherness. And it's elaborated on in, this, in a, a beautifully, richly symbolic story in Genesis chapter two, where we actually have this uh, uh, this picture of like uh, of the man almost being kind of cut in half—it's like he falls into a deep sleep. That could indicate actually a vision. You know, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, had a vision, right? Uh, where it's actually he sees that he that that male and female actually two halves of a whole, a completion of each other, a sacred unity. And it finishes by saying. Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is why the Bible resoundingly teaches that sex belongs exclusively within the marriage commitment between a man and a woman. Why? Because this fundamental human relationship is absolutely sacred, It's the unity in the diversity. It's the togetherness in the difference, the joining of two complementary parts. The complementary sexes in a a relationally connected whole is a profound expression of the sacred symmetry and order in creation and even the unity and diversity in the Godhead. It is absolutely sacred. And the idea that you can change this or mix this up into other combinations with the rationale that, you know, if no one gets hurt, then it must be okay. That, okay, makes sense on a single axis. Like I get why people don't, I get why people don't see this, but it doesn't, it doesn't figure on a double axis. And this is not an, a, you know, old-fashioned, outmoded cultural ethic. It's actually a core part of the biblical worldview but it only makes sense if you recognize that worldview this is why it's so important that we just don't go out trying to be the moral police in the world let's not like let's not do that because our moral our moral discourse it's never going to make sense right it's never going to make sense stop pointing the finger there and start pointing the finger here like we actually need to embody this Let's embody this because people are so hungry for the top end of that axis. They are so hungry for the sacred. They are so hungry for the glory of God. You embody it. Be holy, God says, as I am holy. Be holy, embody the glory of God and see if people don't drag it out of you. And then go and love people. And as you love people, you will help them to recognize the infinite sacred value within them. Let me say this uh, as well um, on a a slightly more uh, specific note. One of the most damaging things about the prevalence of pornography in our culture, actually, uh, it isn't actually the damaging physical and psychological effects it has on the brain and on our sexuality, and that is a factor. Uh, We know now that habitual use of pornography and its it becomes addictive, it, it stimulates the same parts of the brain as addictive drugs do. Uh, we know that it has very serious physical effects on us. Um, for that point, and I won't go on about this tonight, but for that point, uh, if you want to be completely freaked out about that, some people here may need to be freaked out about that. Uh, there's a great website, it's a mainstream website, it's called Fight the New Drug, and it's excellent. It has lots of great uh, information about this. But actually, the most damaging thing about the prevalence of pornography is, actually, is, is not even these elements. It's actually because there is here a desecration of something sacred. I mean, you may have tried to excuse it with reasons like, well, no one gets hurt here, but, there's a, but, I, but I believe deep down you know that you have violated something sacred to routinely use others as objects for your pleasure is to violate the sacredness of a person, not to mention uh, yourself. So don't try and repress the shame or convince yourselves that there's no reason for, actually, God wants to meet you in the place of your shame. This is the amazing thing about what Jesus does, actually. Because the further you are in the pit of shame, actually, the more... the more sense of your need for Jesus, the more you actually attract the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus loves to meet people right there because he never wants us to carry shame. He never wants us to live with guilt. Please don't live with guilt and shame. Jesus says to you, I gave my life for that So if that's you, Jesus says, I'm coming to meet you there. You don't have to get things right because what we do is we're like, I feel so ashamed, I'll just go hide until I feel better and then I'll maybe front up to God one day. There's a bad idea right there because who do you think is going to talk to you while you're cringing off in the darkness? Who do you think is gonna speak to you there and tell you that you're worthless? Tell you that, no, you're not sacred? It's not God. Because God says, no, come out into the light. And you'll find a savior with open arms who weeps for you. With open arms who says, come on, get up. Let's try again. You're forgiven. Let me unlock you from that let 's fly together let 's fly All right, enough about that as if we weren't heavy enough let 's go to uh, to number three um, let me uh, let me use an illustration here um, to help to Describe what happens uh, in this third space, in this space between something that is painful but has this uh, has this uh, this sense of, of of desecration or violation uh, attached uh, attached to it, and I'm, I'm not going to go hugely uh, into depth uh, into this area. Uh, but I do want to validate. Um, I do want to validate an experience that I think actually, uh, you know, that there is amazing healing that can be experienced in this place. I keep dropping my glasses um, because I keep, you know. Anyway, um, imagine you're walking along uh, one day and you're walking under. You're walking under a tree, and a branch falls from the tree and hits you on the head, and you end up with a with a serious injury. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, y- you go to hospital, you recover from the injury, and. And and you're right, okay. But let's say, instead of the the branch falling out of a tree, actually someone picks up a branch and, and maliciously whacks you, like hits you with it. Now let's say it's exactly the same injury. Is it the same pain? No. No, actually there's a whole other dimension that someone would do that there's a trauma involved in the fact that someone would would violate something sacred and attack me like that. Same injury, same physical injury. And yet it becomes so much more traumatic because something, something sacred has been violated in some sense. Now this goes to a whole other depth Given what I've said about sexuality and spirituality, this goes to a whole uh, other depth with uh, sexual abuse. And as I said, I'm not going to talk about this, but I, there, there is a, there's an excellent uh, book uh, about this. It's, a, it's a, again, a mainstream uh, book um, called The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, by Bessel van der Kolk and it's, uh, it's a book about trauma and, and it's I an mean, it's, it's amazing uh, description of actually what trauma. I mean, we're created to be so sensitive. We're very sensitive creatures. We're meant to be, right? Because we're meant to be sensitive to the sacred in each other and sensitive to the sacred in the world around us and, and we're so sensitive, right? But, and which is, but we're also then you know, prone to great, a lot of damage, right? This is why we're so prone to trauma, okay? It's not, you don't just say, oh, people need to toughen up. Everyone's talking about trauma. I've heard people say that. Everyone just needs to toughen up already. No, no, actually, we are profoundly sensitive human beings. Let's not lose the sensitivity. Don't toughen up. But there's a a perspective that I would want to add, actually, um, to all of the the stuff that that he uh, speaks about in that book, because there is actually... This other dimension, and this is to bring this other dimension, when you are treated as a profane object, either an obstacle to be removed or an object for someone else's pleasure, it actually can have the effect of embossing a terrible lie upon our hearts. It can make us believe that we're just a profane object, that we're not sacred at all. It's the most terrible, heartbreaking lie when you get treated like an object and used. And when it's believed, people can end up living accordingly. Oh, I'm just an object for other people's pleasure." Oh, it's, ter- it's just heartbreaking. But yet again, it's amazing. You know, and I know people who have been through that and I know people who have found God in the midst of that pain. And because it's such a deep and sacred place when they open that place up to God and fight healing, there's something about their relationship with God that I think, oh man, that's just so beautiful. (laughs) There's just such a depth to that because they've experienced healing in the deepest place. And this leads me to the last thing that I want to talk about because what God loves to do is redeem our pain. We live in a really messy, messed up world and we are gonna suffer pain. And it's not, there's not always a reason for it. It's just the way that this terrible situation can be, right? People do terrible things, things that God deplores, you know, know, let's just acknowledge that first. It's not always a reason for it, right? But yet the Bible says that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And there is this amazing thing that God can do through really painful experiences Even experiences that he deplores, he can actually use that to actually elevate us, sanctify us. Like this is something that only God can do. And this point brings me back to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, from verse 6, Peter says, In all this future inheritance, he's talking about what's coming to us you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you get that? There's gold in you. There's gold in you. And it gets lost because there's all of this rubbish that gets overlaid, right? And what happens actually when we go through terrible things, even things that God deplores, right? But it, it can actually have this effect of stripping us back to the bare essentials, something that no one can change no matter what they do to you. They cannot change the fact that you are absolutely infinitely sacred and that you are loved by God. Nothing can change that. And sometimes when we get stripped back, we're left with that. The gold is refined in the fire when we let God into that space. 1 Peter chapter four, he goes on to say, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Don't expect that you're not gonna go through this stuff. Even Jesus did. And we follow Jesus. He says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. It's not that they're made perfect, but it's, it's like they, they get stripped of this stuff. As a result, he says, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Life, folks, and I'll finish with this, is not about rushing around amassing pleasure. Life is not about rushing around amassing pleasure, life is about recovering holiness. Life is about recovering holiness. This is what God wants to do. He's saying, I want to recover the sacredness. I want to dis- recover the holiness of my children. I want to recover it in you. I want to recover it in other people, in everyone. I want people to realize that they are absolutely sacred and live accordingly. That's not mean, that's not bigoted, it's not judgmental, and let's admit Christians can be all of those things. But that very fact is not those things, in fact it's beautiful. We are sacred, created to be holy, and God wants to recover holiness. That's what is li- That's what life is about. So this is really important to recognize. Lest you live at cross purposes with God, unless you are rushing, I want this and I want that, and, but God say, Hang on, no, no, no. What I am doing is recovering holiness. I am saving you. We need to hear God saying that. When we complain, I don't want to go through this, I just want to get out of this as quick as possible. God's saying, hang on, I'm actually trying to save you here. Life is about recovering holiness, sacredness. Who's up for that? Anyone? Anyone into it? Into it? All right, let's stand. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we are so loved. Father, I thank you for the infinite, sacred value of every person in this place. Father, help us to see that in each other. Help us to have that deep respect for the fundamental dignity and glory that lies in each one of us as gold that you want to refine. Help us to know that about ourselves. Lord, reveal this to us, Lord God. Father, help us, Lord God, to see this. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would unlock us from whatever, anyone in this room that feels like they need to be unlocked from something. Lord, Father, I pray that you would begin, Lord God, to do that even now. Lord, we want to fly. We want to fly, Lord, with you. Lift us up. And you're the only one who can. And so we trust you and put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.